small group, you can head on out. If not, you get to rock with us tonight. I've been given very strict instructions on what to preach. I'm going to do my best to stick to it. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We're, we're continuing with the series in James, and uh, uh, obviously Pastor Randy and Pastor Nicole have been doing this, so I'm just going to briefly kind of, in case you haven't been here for any of the other messages, I just want to give a general idea of what James is trying to accomplish with his letter. James is a well-loved book of the Bible because it's super practical. Like, if you're the type of person that's just like, tell me what to do, James is the guy for you. That's what he does. In fact, as we're going to discover tonight, James sometimes likes to get a little in your face about it. Like, really, he, he wants to get in your grill, and I think that's great. But here's the idea behind James, and this is, this is our good starting point. James is writing his letter to believers who were Jewish, who were, were Jews, and they've converted into Christianity, and now they've got to figure out what in the world does this mean to follow God without, like, all the old covenant stuff. How are we supposed to do this? What is this supposed to look like in light of Jesus? Because it's not about our works anymore. It's about believing in what Jesus did for us, and yet James is going to make a very profound argument for why you need to do some good stuff. So it's important for us to understand why James is saying what he's saying, and he explains it, and I believe Pastor Randy had this message, so I think he kind of hit it, but in case you weren't here, again, James's idea of faith is this. It is that you trust and you believe, and because you trust and believe, there's an action that validates that trust and that belief. That's why in James 2.19, he tells us, hey, you believe there's one God. Even the demons believe that, and they're terrified. Because they know it's real. They don't just believe it. They know that it's real. And they know they're on the wrong side of that relationship. And James says, so belief alone don't get you very far. That's what he says. And that's not hard for us to understand either. Because if you go look in the original language, the word faith, when they would have heard that word being used, it meant this. Trust and belief with an implication that there's an action corresponding to that trust and that belief. Let me put it to you this way. Um, in James's letter, and in several parts in the New Testament specifically, the word faith can be used kind of two different ways. Sometimes the word faith is used to describe the general belief system. Like, if I said to you, I have faith in Jesus, you could take that to mean, I believe the Bible, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Like the core belief system of Christianity, I believe that. But then my lifestyle could be totally different. It'd be like me saying, I believe that murder is wrong, and tomorrow going out and murdering a bunch of people. And you would rightfully say, do you really think murder is wrong? Because you're murdering people. That doesn't make sense for you to claim to believe that and not live by it. That is James's whole argument, is that just merely assenting to a belief system is not saving faith. Saving faith is when action accompanies what you claim to trust and believe. Right? Does that make sense? So that's why James gets to the nitty-gritty. I like to describe James this way to the teens. I say, James is trying to show you what faith actually looks like. Like, you should be able to look at my life and know that I have faith in Jesus because of the way that I live. Right? That was James's argument. He uses Abraham, and he uses Rahab to prove his point. Abraham heard the word of God, 
And he believed it. He believed it was God, believed it was God's word. But it wasn't faith until he started walking. You see the difference there? So I can say, uh, just like in that song, I will build my life upon your love and all this thing. Okay, what does that actually mean? That's what James talks about. All right, let's go to James chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17, and I'm going to try so hard to get all of this in. So let's pray. Father, help me to clearly communicate your word. Father, to draw all of us closer to Jesus, closer to our relationship with you. And I pray, Father, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are receptive to what you're speaking to us tonight. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. So James, uh, Pastor Randy said this. He he told you guys James is the half-brother of Jesus. And James absolutely rips off his older brother a lot. Maybe I could say he echoes Jesus. He likes to echo Jesus, which I would encourage all of us to be echoers of what Jesus said. Because It's God's word that has authority, not ours. So the only thing that's going to work is if we're echoing what Jesus says, what God says in his word. All right, James 4, starting in verse 1. Let's just read it. What causes fights and quarrels among you? James is asking a rhetorical question. He said, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet. But you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them or judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin them. James's letter, and that's what it is, it is a letter, it's a pastoral letter, and James is correcting things that are actually happening in the church, which is the first thing that we all need to stop and appreciate, is that 
he's not just writing this for the sake of writing it. There were some issues in the church. And James is like, I need to bring some clarity here to what's happening. Another important thing to remember is that it's very important to read these apostolic letters in their fullness. Because James is going to repeat three big themes, three big themes all throughout his letter. He's going to talk about trials and temptations over and over. He's going to talk about how we speak and the wisdom of how we speak. And he's going to talk about wealth or money. And what are we supposed to do with that? As Christians, how are we supposed to approach money? Now, like I said, James is echoing Jesus heavy in this chapter. And I want to kind of break it down for you so we hear what Jesus said and we understand how James is showing us, he's helping us understand how to live according to what Jesus said. By the way, just a little side note here, uh, it is commonly believed according to church history that James was actually the first part of the New Testament that was written. Like it actually predates the Gospels. So what we're reading in James is like possibly the only actual written thing they knew to go off of. So it makes sense that James echoes what Jesus says so much because they're not deviating from what Jesus gave. All right, James 1 and verse 2, let's read it again. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That connects literally to verse 13 of chapter 3 when he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But look, he says, but if you harbor bitter envy... And selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. He says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And now he comes right down to chapter 4. What causes these fights and quarrels? They come from those desires, that envy, that covetousness, that jealousy of what other people have. And he says, you desire, but you don't have, so you do these terrible things. You, you kill, and you, you're, you're hurting each other, and, and, you, and you're just stealing, and, and you do all these bad things. And he says, and you don't have because you don't ask God, which is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7, 8, and 11, Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks find, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. And we're all like, yes, amen. And then James is like, but hold the train. The reason you're not getting what you're asking for is because you're selfish. You're self-centered. You just want what you want for you, your own benefit, your own pleasure. And God's not going to answer that request. You know, in working with teenagers, um, I'll be honest, probably adults do this too. I don't know. We like to pull verses out of the Bible sometimes and be like, this is my life verse. I'm going to go with it. And, and one of those verses we like to pull out a lot is, uh, God will give me the desires of my heart. And, you know, I'll sit down with a student and I'll say, the Bible does say that. You're absolutely right. Let me throw out a hypothetical to all of us people. Uh, if the desire of my heart, which can be led astray by sinful desires. That's what scripture teaches. If the desire of my heart was to say, steal David's truck. I just want David's truck. You know why? It's bigger than mine. Can haul a little bit more than mine. I just really like David's truck. I think I'll steal it. God, I want that truck. God, will you please give me David's truck? 
And you would all say, God would say, no. What? But he gives me the desires of my heart. And we would e- easily just, no. Well, let's take it another step. God, I really think that other guy's wife is smoking. I'd like to sleep with her. Sounds like David. And we'd all go, no, I don't, I don't think God's going to answer that one. Why? Because it ain't right. It ain't right. This is why it's really important for us to grab all of the context of Scripture. James says the reason you're not getting what you're praying for is because you're praying with wrong motives. You want it for yourself and not to benefit others, and God's not going to honor that. And if we go back to Jesus and we finish what he says, Jesus talks about how earthly fathers, how they'll give good gifts to their children. In verse 11, Jesus says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts, give good gifts, To those who ask him. In the context of what Jesus is talking about, he specifically is talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit after his resurrection. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about worldly, material, selfish. He's talking about if you ask God, he'll give you his spirit. He's not going to withhold that from you. Because God gives us good gifts, right? And so James, again, he's echoing. He says, You don't have because you don't ask God. That's problem number one. Problem number two is all you want is for yourself. And then James drops his first big bomb on us. You adulterous people. The Bible all throughout the Old and New Testament uses this word adultery a lot to describe our relationship with God when we turn away from him. It's like we're having an affair on God with somebody else. That's strong language, man. James is like, you're adulterous people. People, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I think this is James echoing what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 and 24. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you can't do both. James is calling out these believers in the church for their duplicity of where they want to go in life. James says, you only get to pick one direction, people. It's like driving on the interstate. You can't head both north on I-75 and south on I-75 at the same time. James and Jesus both let us know you can't be pursuing God and in the same thing be pursuing what the world has to offer you. They are diametrically opposed to each other. You can't do it. And James says, but that's exactly the problem, is that that's what you keep doing. He says, and in doing so, you're alienating yourself from God. You're becoming God's enemy. Jesus said it a little nicer. Jesus just wanted us to know wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what we value most is the direction our life's going to head. And if we value worldly possessions and our own pleasures more than we value God, then God's going to let us have what we want. It's not going to do much for us. Jesus would go on to tell us, don't, don't store treasure on earth where moth and vermin it destroys it with the thieves come in and steal. Don't do that. Why? The treasures of this life can never satisfy you. 
Jesus wants to show us the heart issue behind all this. James is just like, you bunch of adulterers, dude, get it right. Jesus is like, no, let me show you how the pursuit of those things will not satisfy. It's just an empty pit waiting for you at the end of what the world offers. Let me give you a real easy example of how this played out in my life. Uh, Back in, I think it was 2019, I bought a new truck, bought a Chevy Colorado. I really liked it. I was so happy. Been looking for one for a while. My car was breaking down, like literally it was breaking down. And uh, so I was like, you know what? I told Bethany I'm going to start looking for something. We had some money in savings. I ended up finding this truck in Indianapolis. I reached out to a couple of my buddies that had no cars. And I was like, hey, what do you think about this car? And they were all like, good deal. Now, don't get me wrong here. It was a 2006. Like, I was buying an old one, but it was in great shape. I was going to get a good deal on it. And I went, and I purchased it, and I drove it back. And the whole way back, I'm just like, God, thank you so much for this truck. I love it so much. I got home, and like every day I would park it. I'd go in the house, and I'd look out our window and just be like, like, look at that truck. My wife's here. You could ask her. I did it for like a month. I was like, look at that truck. Truck looks so nice out there in front of my yard. My truck. Had a sunroof, fully loaded. It was great for like six months. And then I saw somebody else at the church with a better truck. And the interesting thing is the thing that I had been praising God and thanking God for bringing into my life now became something that I despised. And I wanted something better because I saw that somebody else had something better. And I was like, well, why can't I have that? And the weird thing is my situation didn't change. That truck still perfectly met my needs. Isn't that weird how worldly things, like I was so grateful. I'm like, praise God, I got to. I brought it to church and was showing it off. I'm like, look at this. And for six months later to be like, you know, that's a piece of junk. I need something. That, like that, it's so fickle. It's so vain. It just... It erodes. These things don't last. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus doesn't want his people, his image bearers, to just pursue endlessly these things that cannot satisfy. So he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. If that's what you want is these empty things, go for it. But there's something better. Verse 5, I think, is the critical verse in chapter 4. James is going to contrast what we as people so often fall into of our desires, these worldly things. We want what other people have. James says, let me show you what God wants. He says, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? James just ripped out a shotgun and shot us through the chest. He says, you guys, are, you're like, you adulterous people, you just want what the world can offer you. So you get in arguments, and you envy one another, and you're bitter, and you're jealous. He says, that's what you're doing. Meanwhile, God's like, I just want you. That's what I want. I want you. I'm jealous for you. God looks at us wanting all these momentary, not really satisfying things. He's watching us just pursue these things, and God's like, I just want you. James is like, how does that make you feel? That like, it's so easy. Isn't it, church? It's so easy for us to get distracted. God's just like, I want you. By the way, God doesn't want you as a tool, by the way. Sometimes we get this idea that God just wants me because he wants to use me. No. God wants you because you're a son and a daughter. And God's not just sending you out like a hammer into the world. No, God's inviting us as sons and daughters into the work that he's doing. He wants us to come alongside him in his work of redeeming the world. He's, he's a loving father. He's not a toolmaster. 
He wants us. And James is like, while you're out here doing all this, God just wants you. It's like grandparents. How many of you are grandparents in here today? Raise your hand. Yeah, you blessed people. I got kids, so they have grandparents. And the one thing about grandparents that I'm kind of jealous of is they like to give their grandkids stuff. I'm just like, I'm here too. You know, it's fine, whatever. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're great. Anyways, my kids do get lots more gifts than I do. And, and the thing is, like, I get it. As grandparents, you want to bless your grandkids. You're like, I dealt with your mom and dad. Now I'm just going to pour it all out right here. But none of you want to be loved by your grandchildren because you give them things. You want to be loved by your grandchildren because they're your grandchildren. And you're the grandparent, right? Like, you're like, don't love me because I give you things. Love me because of who I am, which is what parents are supposed to do. When the kids are like, as soon as the grandparents walk in the door, and they're like, what'd you bring me? You smack them. You're like, don't do that. That's God, man. Sometimes I, what James is trying to get to is sometimes we treat God like, like grandchildren treat their grandparents. We're just like, God, what are you going to give me? What you got for me today, God? God's like, I really just want to kind of spend time with you. I'm going to bless you because that's what God is like. He's a good father. He's going to bless you. But he really just wants you. You know, I, just, I think that's, I think James is trying to stress that to us so that we get it. All right, let's keep moving. I know, I got so much to get through. So James gives us a solution. He says, when you acknowledge that you've got this duplicity in your life, and I would, I would literally argue with all of us that this happens way more commonly than we think it does. I, I think this is a problem that is common to every single person who's trying to live for Jesus. Why? Because we live in the here and now. And sometimes, like, there's stuff that we need here and now, right? But James gives a solution for when we find ourselves drifting from our pursuit of God into the pursuit of the world. And here's what he says. Submit yourselves then to God, which brings us back to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus also talking about the things of this world, and he's telling us about how God's going to take care of us so we don't have to worry about it. But Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Our goal as Christ followers, the way of life, what faith looks like for us is I'm pursuing a relationship with my father. I'm going to live under his authority, and I'm going to live under his rule. That's the only thing I'm concerned with. Because if I do that, God's going to take care of everything else. James brings us back to that point. He says, here's the solution. Submit yourselves then to God. Bring yourself back to that place of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And here's where it gets really interesting. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is a verse we love to pull out and just wave it. You know, whenever anybody's dealing, dealing with something, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But James, in the context of what he's talking about, James is saying this. Hey, those desires for worldly things, that's the devil. Resist that. You want to know what the temptation is? It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. The temptation is this. You can gain more than God can give. Right? Wasn't that what he did? 
He, he got him to distrust what God said. Did God really say that? And he goes, no, you'll become like God. You'll gain something that God did not give you. James is like, resist the devil, man. This is his game. He hasn't changed. His game is always, hey, if you go your own way, you can get more. You could gain more than God will give you. We go, that's a lie. But for some reason, we fall into it. James says, resist the devil. Whenever you've got the desire to go on your own way and try to make it happen for yourself, resist the devil. Why? Because if I just pursue God, his rule and his reign in my life, God's going to take care of me. And he brings it back down to that. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Remember, he wrote this to the church. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's bringing us back to that place of you can't have it both ways. You got to pick pursuing God or pick pursuing the world, but you can't have both. So purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. What's James' solution for when we find ourselves torn between pursuing God and pursuing the world? It's, it's repentance. Is humbling ourselves. It's getting on my knees and saying, God, I'm not going to pull an Adam and Eve and think that I can gain more on my own than what you will freely give me. So I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to choose to trust your word. I'm going to choose to believe, and I'm going to act on that because that's what faith is, is believing and trusting you, but then acting on it. That if I seek you first, you will take care of me. That I'm not going to lack. And I can trust that it, when you give, it will be good for me. Right? When you give it, it will be good for me. Because God's not going to give me anything that will hurt me. Right? And then it seems like he changes tone a little bit going into verse 11. But I really don't think he does. I think this is all flowing together. Uh, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. He says when, when you judge the law, you aren't keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge? Your neighbor. So we're talking about judging, and by the way, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he literally goes from don't worry straight into don't judge people. James echoes him. I'm just telling you. It's what he does. Here's the thing about this judging. He says, don't slander one another. Don't judge one another. I think that sometimes there's a temptation, and I think this is what James is hitting on, is for me to look at you when you're getting blessed and go, well, I know that they ain't as good as me. What are they doing? You know what, I come to church every week and I serve and I do all. I ain't ever seen Jimmy do nothing. Why has he got a brand new truck? Uh, maybe that's just me. James is like, don't, why, why are you doing that? Why do you got to be like that? Can't you just be happy that somebody else is being blessed? What's happening? Like you want God to bless you, but you can't. Why are you, why are you talking bad about them? You don't know what's going on. You don't know what God is doing in their life. You don't know what God is doing in their heart. So why are you doing this? James, like Jesus, because Jesus does this, right? He says, hey, why are you pointing out the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when you've got a massive plank in your own eye? What are you doing? You look kind of silly doing that. 
I think what James and what Jesus are getting to is this. Uh, We should spend way more time focusing on judging ourselves and way less time judging others because I got enough going on. I'm a big hot mess. And when I reflect on myself and I go, man, when I look at the word of God and I look at my life and I go, man, I was just, I was just covening that guy's truck. I want a different truck. The, th- the truck I praised you for ain't good enough anymore. I want this truck. And, and then I go, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to covet. I'm not supposed to envy. I'm just supposed to pursue and live under your authority and reign. And you're going to take care of me. All my needs will be met. And I go, oh, man, God, I need your mercy because I just sinned again. Give me mercy and grace. I ain't got time to worry about how you're messing up. I'm worried about how much mercy and grace I need. And Jesus, that's actually the way he teaches it, by the way. To whom shows mercy, mercy will be given, right? You'll be judged in the same measure that you judge it. Now, I do want to hit this, and I think, I think again, it was Pastor Randy that hit on this. Judging in the church is actually something that happens, but I want to show you the distinct difference here. We judge actions, not motives. God does not overlook or sweep our sin under the rug. God dealt with our sin on a cross. It it was not a good thing to do, right? It was very painful for Jesus to go through this process. God deals with it. When we hurt each other in the church, Jesus actually gives us the recipe for how we're to navigate that. So we have to ask ourselves, what kind of judging are we talking about here? Because for me to say, hey, you hurt me, means that I have to judge the action that you made, right? So there is a place for judging, and going and saying, hey, but here's what we're not supposed to do. I really believe this. I'm not supposed to just watch your life for you to mess up so that I can come and be like, hey, you know what? You're not really following Jesus. What's wrong with you? That's, that's what I think Jesus and, and John, and that's why Jesus says, hey, once you remove that plank from your eye, buddy, you can go help them because you'll be able to see clearly what's going on. But we're not to judge one another's hearts or motives because only God knows that. Right? So it's about, again, Humility. I don't have to be jealous. I don't have to be envious. I don't have to try to talk bad about you to make myself feel better for what I think is a lack in my life. I can just trust God. Now, let's get to verse 13. I got 12 minutes. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. We're going to spend a year there, carry on business, and make some fat cash. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. All right. James is ripping off his brother again. This is from Luke's gospel, chapter 12. I want you to see as I read this, if you can hear the parallel. Someone in the crowd, there's a large crowd, Jesus is ministering. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out. There's an exclamation mark, so I wanted us to get that. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I know what I'll do. 
I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This, Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now let's read what James wrote again. And now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus said? You fool, you're building these bigger bars. You're going to die. James, what is, what is your life? You're a mist. You just show up and you vanish. Instead, what you should say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Verse 17, and if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. In Jesus' parable in Luke 12, the man's fatal flaw was his self-centeredness. He had all this abundance, and he went, I'm going to use it for myself. I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to chill. I'm going to relax. You know, Jesus said the poor would always be among us. There's probably plenty of poor people that could have benefited from what he had at that moment. See, James and Jesus are concerned with us understanding something. That our life is literally to be lived in submission to Jesus. And if Jesus says, hey, I want you to give all that you have to the poor... We are to say, yes, Lord. Why? Because I don't have to fear anything if God is the one who actually is my source. Do you see that? See, what I think James is showing us in chapter 4 of his letter is he's bringing us all the way back to this place of just humbly walking with God and saying, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I could die in my sleep tonight. I could make all these grand plans. And, and by the way, I want to point out that I don't think this is a rebuke against making plans. This is a rebuke against making plans without seeking the Lord. Because it's the Lord who leads us and guides us, right? Doesn't Scripture say, in all my ways I acknowledge you and you will direct my paths. What if God has given you the great ability to generate wealth so that you could be a great vessel of generosity to a world that's hurting? Isn't that what he told Abraham? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you so much. You're just going to be so ridiculously blessed. And why am I going to do that? Because through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. You're going to be a vessel I pour through. And here's what I also want to share with you. What I love about Scripture is that Scripture gives us a whole lot of, here's what you should do, but not the specifics of how we should go about doing that thing. Let me explain it this way. The poor and the rich are both commanded to live generously, and to trust God as their source. However, God might ask the rich man to give more than he asks the poor man to give. Why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. But we're all operating from the same foundation. My trust is in God, and if God leads me to give it all, my trust is in Him. He is Savior. I'm seeking first His kingdom, His reign, His authority in my life. I'm seeking first His righteousness, His rule. I'm living His way, so if He shows up and says, I want you to give it all, I can say, 
Absolutely, because I might die tonight, and it won't matter anyway. And if I don't die tonight, God's got me. God's got me. See, I think James, his whole message is back to verse 5. He jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. God doesn't want anything in this life to pull us away from him. And James is writing to the church, and he's like, I see this happening. I see these worldly desires, these things that are not of God, and they're pulling you away from him. You're being self-centered and selfish and envious and bitter and jealous and, and covetous of one another. But that's the exact opposite of the way that Jesus taught us to live. Jesus taught his followers to live generous. Why? Not because I think I'm going to have to work harder the next day, but because I know that if I give, I'll receive. I'm not giving to receive. I'm giving because I trust that God's faithful, that I'm not going to go without if I follow him. Right? It's freedom. It's freedom to say, yeah, I just trust God. Now, I'm not telling you to be foolish, by the way. I'm not telling you to go home and, well, actually, you know, if the Lord leads you to give all your wealth to me and then go follow him somewhere, it's fine. But I'm not saying do that. What I'm saying is you can trust what God leads you to do, that God will not let you fail in following him. And if he did ask you, give it all, you could say, absolutely. And you could walk in absolute faith knowing that you trust and believe the word of God and you put action to it and you will see God be faithful to himself. Because he's faithful to his word, right? James gives us all an opportunity to reflect on our hearts and say, where am I at? Am I pursuing God's kingdom, his rule, his reign, his authority? Or am I pursuing my own means? Am I trying to gain what really only God can give? And when God gives, it satisfies. What I get on my own can't ever satisfy. It might for a moment or for a season, but it can't endure to eternal life. That's why Jesus in John 6, he says, hey, don't work for food that spoils. Work for food that, that endures to eternal life. What is that? The pursuit of God. He says it's to do the work of God. And they go, what's the work of God? And he says, to believe in me. That's the work. Believe in me. Have faith. Trust. When I say it, you can do it. Because I won't fail you. I'll do what I said I'll do. James gives us all the opportunity to investigate, to look within and say, where am I at? And I feel like I would be failing us tonight if I didn't give us that opportunity to look inside. And say, James wrote this to a church, which means these kind of things can happen in the church. These kind of things can happen to me. And I know that it's happened to me. I mean, if I was being very transparent, I'd say, it happened to me quite often. I go, man, there's a lot of stuff I want to do. I need more money. I could maybe work another job. I'm not saying that stuff's wrong, but what I'm saying is, Am I submitted to what God wants me to do? Because God might not want me to work another job. You know why? I got three little kids. God might say, no, just go be a good father. You got a job. That's fine. I'll take care of the rest. And I go, okay. And I might hit a season where God says, all right, Sonny, get out there and go work. What are you doing, you lazy bum? And I'll go, okay, God, I'll go get a job. Like the whole point is that we just submit to him and we let him lead. And I trust that however he leads, he'll be faithful. So here's how I'd like to do this. I got three minutes. Three minutes is all you need. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to just simply pray, Holy Spirit, if there's any area in my life where I'm trying to do this on my own, where I'm not submitting myself to 
you and your way and your will for my life. Convict me of it. Lead me into repentance so I can get back to the heart of God. Heavenly Father, we open ourselves up to you and to the Holy Spirit tonight to investigate our hearts, to reveal any duplicity in us, any, any of that adulterous nature that James talked about. Father, we don't want that. We want you. Bring us back, God. May the Holy Spirit have strong conviction in our lives that when we start to drift into the pursuit of worldly things, when we try to gain what only you can give, Father, bring us back quickly. Lead us to repentance quickly. Help us to walk in humility before you, acknowledging we don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we know that you know. And we're going to submit ourselves to your rule and your reign in our lives. Father, I pray that we would absorb the wisdom of James, that we would not overlook the opportunity to do good when it's presented to us. But Father, as you lead us, we'll trust that even if it looks like we'll do without, we know that you'll be faithful to give back when we're faithful to follow your leading to give. Help us to trust in you and bring us back to your heart, Father, of desiring us because you desire us. And may we desire you, not for what you give, but because of who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, church, I hope that encouraged you and blessed you. And we'll see you Sunday morning, bright and early.